Hello and welcome to a new episode of the CTO show with Mehmet. My name is Mehmet and as you know in each episode I discuss different topics from emerging tech, AI, digital transformation, cybersecurity and also you know I discuss startups and entrepreneurship. And by now you know that sometimes as well I have guests with me here in the show who are subject matter experts in their field and today I'm very pleased to have with me live from Montreal, Canada, Oshri Oshri, thank you for being with me today. You are a fractional CTO, as I know. So this is something very interesting. So let's start the discussion by knowing more about you, what you are up to, and what is the idea of the fractional CTO? Oof, what I'm up to. I'm up to too many things. That's uh, that's the problem. <laughs> um, I'm up to too many things. So the idea of the fractional CTO is that Most companies do not need a full-time CTO for the first four generations of their business, right? And a generation in the startup world could be every year. And in uh, in more traditional businesses, could be every five years, a generation could be skipping and so on and so forth and moving forward. I I, I didn't create this. I I stumbled upon this role. Um, while speaking to European friends, right? Where fractional CTO and the fractional movement is very, very, very popular uh, on that side of the world, right? Um, And and I also realized the need for it because a lot of companies who are hiring CTOs don't actually need a CTO per se. Sometimes they need a lead developer or a tech lead. Sometimes they need an architect. Sometimes they need an engineering manager, a VP of engineering. And then sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes they actually need a CTO, right? Um, And and I realized that as being CTO multiple times, as being VP of engineering and so on and so forth. And I'm like, this this doesn't make a lot of sense. And and once I entered into this industry uh, uh, a year and a half ago, close to two years ago, it, it made that much more sense. I have, I have worked with so many companies that have given so much equity to heads of engineering, to tech leads, to CTOs. This is a podcast nobody's seeing the air quotes. There's a lot of air quotes happening right now, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. To only have them leave after a year or two and leave them in such a bad state, sometimes in a good state, but mostly in a bad state, and have taken a piece of their company for, for having done what? Written some code, which doesn't make any sense since they're already receiving salary. So, so that's the fractional CTO concept. It's, it's a, an executive with you every single day of the week, one to two hours a week, right? Handling any matter of technology. So from vendor selection to open source selection, really important, right? technology selection, the actual software development process, architecture, database modeling, whatever the company needs, the fractional CTO is this chameleon that kind of comes in and fulfills all of those roles. That's that's the fractional CTO. <laughs> no, it's very, it's very straightforward. And uh, as we were chatting before we start the recording, I saw the same trend as well and i agree 100 percent with you because but what pushed me is a little bit different because i've seen people who start to build things that actually no one needs sometimes or they build features <laughs> let's say who no one needs and then they have this what they call it the technical debt right and it's all because you know I believe, you know, the CTO is focused too much on the technical side rather than being also on the business side. And I wanted to fill this gap. And for me, it's like not only startups, it's also for any small company, which they can be in any, you know, any vertical actually, who needs someone. So the CTO, as you know, he can be kind of a CEO, CIO, sorry, he can be a CISO sometimes because they don't have someone for security. Uh And this is exactly the same thing. And what you said, Oshri, resonated 100%. Now, a little bit like something I was doing the research and, you know, I stumbled upon also as well. So you said like usually a startup doesn't need a CTO for the first four years, right? 
Uh-huh. Why you believe? Why you believe that it it maybe so, minimum four years? So at, at the end of the four years, I'm gonna I'm gonna work backwards. Normally I work from year sure. one to year four. I'm gonna work backwards. Year four, you need your CTO to be a visionary, right? They need to think about how technology will evolve the business. Okay, they need to be a business person. They need to have entrepreneurial. Um, scale entrepreneurial heart because they're a business partner. They work with the CEO. They work with the COO directly. What is the business problem? Let me solve that because they've got all the tech leads. They've got their VP of engineering. That person operates at a much, much higher level. So you've got that. Then before that, at year three, you need the leader, the leader who's going to manage multiple managers, right? Tell them this is the area we're going. The CTO at that point is not really dealing in code anymore, but he's, he might be dealing in architectural direction a little bit here and there, right? Setting a, a, a grand direction and letting the managers do the, what they do best, which is run their teams. And then let the developers do what they're best. They do best is find the solutions to the problems. Before that, on year two, you need a manager. You have one team, you have a couple of developers. You need this person to manage. You need someone to manage. You're not gonna have an engineer manager and a CTO. It doesn't make sense. Right? It's right. too high of it's too deep of a, of, of a hierarchy. Okay. And year one, you need a tech lead. You need the person who can code and code a lot and code for a long time. Right. For the first year, you might, you might only have a few developers at that point. Right. So to actually hire a quote unquote, again, the air quote for the podcast listeners in their car, right. To hire a quote unquote CTO for, for, all of those roles is an issue because what are the chances that the same person will actually be able to fulfill every one of those roles? A developer is a creative role. You're a technical genius. Let's say everyone wants the technical genius, the tech lead, right? Yep. So, so, so the developer, excellent at coding and then architecture and so on, build the whole system, CI, CD, everything, all the good stuff. Right. But then they're asking, you're asking this person to manage a team. Maybe this person has never hired a person in his, in his or her life. Right. Yep. You're asking them not to manage a, a team. That's a completely different change from deeply creative to now people skills. Some people have them. We see them all the time, but we also see that 99% of the time, these people don't have the skill required. And I coach a lot of tech leads that are moving over transitioning to that. And they realize that's not what they want to do. What they want to do is just code or build or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And, and so you can't have the CTO title. You have to downgrade yourself. You can still have the same authority, but you have to downgrade yourself. And then ask this person. Now you're going from manager. You just transition from creative. You into manager. You've hired a whole bunch of people. Now you've got a whole bunch of funding in year two, maybe year three. Now you need to hire a whole bunch of teams. And now you're transitioning again now to a leadership role where management, you are deep in the, in the issues and your scrum meetings or whatever it is or what, whatever management methodology you believe in and, you, and, and works for your business it, it is irrelevant, right? But now you have to go into leadership and, and guide these managers into running their teams properly whole different ball game and then visionary the transition is so intense you don't have time to actually adjust properly and so a lot of ctos leave the first year after the first year or after the second year they leave because that's not what they want to do right but they also yeah. leave with a piece of your company because you gave them a nice equity position because you wanted them because you believe that that's the only way to get really, really good people. That's, 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 I see that as a, as a risk to the business. And I've seen that enough times. Uh, recently I had a client that, that their head of engineering left had 5% of the company because he requested a, a raise and they gave him 5% of the company. Wow. Three, Three or four days after he vested, he left. He quit. That's it. He quit. And he, and he did a really bad job. Like, just horrendous. I looked at this and I'm like, well, how, how could you even build something? Like, 
unmaintained. Oh. Yeah. Right? And this is a story. This is a story that happens in every single company, in every single start, almost every single startup. Yeah. And do you think that this is also applicable for both in case, I mean, the founder himself or herself are like from technical background? Do you, do you see do you see it happening in, in both cases from like non-tech founders or tech founders as well? Yes, because even the even the founders that have a technical background will still believe the same hype. I like to call it they live in startup land, right? This this uh, this uh, this land in the sky where where you do things that don't make any bloody sense in, in terms of business fundamentals. They just don't make any sense whatsoever, right? Yeah. Hiring so many, so, so such a big team, rapidly growing, iterating really really quickly. Yes, it makes sense sometimes, but most of the time it doesn't. Right, um, yeah. and so I'll see it with non-technical founders and with technical founders. Right, technical founders typically they act as the CTO, but then they're like, "Well, I'm a founder. Like, I need to actually grow my business. I can't spend enough time on this." Do they need a full timer? No, they need someone to just make sure that everything is done correctly. Again, they yeah. just need a fractional. Right, um, the non-technical founders they need a fractional tied to their hip. <laughs> like, like before you ask for something you ask me and then i i tell them like do not even speak to until i train you how to speak to developers and how to formulate your ideas properly right the yeah. worst ones are the non-technical founders that are really really smart that educated themselves and they know they know a mile wide in terms of information but an inch deep Right? They only know so much of what they read because there's so much in terms of technical of technology that you that you can only that you can only imagine, right? That you can only pick up on mm -hmm. uh, at any given moment. So yes, that's I, I see that I see that with any type of founder. Yeah, makes sense because actually you you mentioned something very important. The founder or founders um, should be focusing on business development, sales, how to grow the company. Right, so hundred percent makes sense. Um, hire a full-time salesperson or hire a full-time marketing person, hundred percent instead of a CTO. Like, put your money there. That will actually grow your business. Not the CTO. Technology is a tool to build to generate revenue. It doesn't actually generate revenue. That's the thing. You got to be smarter with your money. Yes, hundred percent. Now, one of the things also um, uh, why I was uh, preparing. So you you talked about you know, preparing um, the infrastructure so the startups, you know, they can train AI to meet business needs. Can you mm. a little bit explain a little bit more about this, uh, this one? The, the, the bane of my existence is a founder coming to me and says the word AI. This is, this <laughs> is just, it's, I'm like, okay. It gives me a headache immediately, and I'm, I have to take a minute. I, have to, I hope it's five o'clock. I can have a drink. Like <laughs> I need something, <laughs> because because ninety nine percent of the time they are not prepared for it. They don't even have the data. They don't have anything, right? It's not just having data. You have to prepare the data. You have to massage the data. You have to have data with decisions already attached to them. Is it good? Is it bad? In order to be able to start predicting, what is AI if not just a prediction engine, right? For the most part. I mean, even ChatGPT, for the most part, it predicts the next word. It just does it really, really well, right? So, so right. you need to prepare the infrastructure. You need your databases properly structured. Very, very important. You need your ETL jobs. You need to be dumping data. You need to actually be making and, and storing decisions. So, for example, if you want to predict opportunities, you need an opportunity score. And then you need to log your calls. You need to log your emails. You need to log your SMS messages. And you need to log everything in order to be able to predict the possibility that this opportunity will, will, will convert. Well, you know what? That also needs about 100,000 to 200,000, maybe half a million records, right? To do this properly. Or you, pro or you buy, uh, you know, or, or you subscribe to, to, uh, to uh, commercial off-the-shelf AI if they have it, which is already pre-trained. But even if it's pre-trained, you still need to feed it the data, which you're unable to. Because you don't have the infrastructure in place, that is that is the that is the big issue with with AI. It's not a magic bullet. Even if you wanted to implement ChatGPT tomorrow, you can't. Not that easy. Now you have to figure out what right. how your prompts are going to be written. Now you have to generate your prompts. 
that's six months of R&D right there and then. Easy, of multiple developers and how to actually interact with it and do it. It's not as simple as, as just a Twilio API and that's it. <laughs> yeah, like it's easy also, as you know, Ushri, like someone to just use the the fancy word AI because now it's like top of mind for everyone. <laughs> I have AI. And you know, the question that I'm trying also to educate, educate whoever I meet, like not only clients, like guys, when you choose a, when you choose a solution and someone tells you it's AI powered, machine learning powered, you know, all this, I start to tell people, okay, can you ask them how big is the data set that they have trained this AI on? Can I know that some, 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 some people are hating me now, I know, but, um, I used to sit on 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 the client side uh, at some stage in my career, and you know, look, I also work as a sales, so I know like you need to 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 promote to market your product, but again, you need you need to use the right terminology over there. And just saying, hey, we have implemented an AI in our solution. No, sorry, you 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 did maybe some automation in your solution. That's not called AI, and as you said. AI is something bigger than this. Uh, and I like the way you explained about, you know, how you need to get the data, massage the data, present the data, and make sure that this data is clean and this data is not biased and so on and so forth. We can do a, an episode about AI actually, but yeah, 100% agree with you on this. Now another, you know, and this is why I was so interested, Oshri, to have you on the show because you have like some breakthrough i would say sayings out there which i agree with majority of of them so you said uh, or you described let's say the technical recruitment as broken and relic of oh the pre-internet era what do you mean by that i know what do you mean but i mean i need, <laughs> I need the audience to know and how we can fix that technical recruiting is an absolute mess it is an absolute mess 99% of technical recruiters are, are looking at resumes for keywords, like SEO, right? They're, like, they're, they're basically glorified search engines looking at a resume. Yeah. And technology, in the last, what, two years, technology has changed dramatically. And while we're talking now, three JavaScript frameworks came out and new database technology. And I think Mojo, a new, a new language just came out for, or for, for machine learning development right? That's like Python. There's a lot of technology that is evolving way too quickly for your standard recruiter to be able to understand what it means. There's a lot of resumes that are written very, very nicely. If I ask ChatGPT, I give him my LinkedIn URL and I say, hey, write me a resume. It'll write me a beautiful resume, right? And it'll pass most, most sniff tests and most recruiters will pass me over to, to the hiring managers, but I may not be able to actually pass the technical evaluation. So problem number one in recruiting is it's based on keywords. Keywords don't mean anything. I, t I tell you, if anybody says they have a HTML experience, I, 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 I get annoyed right, right from the ghetto in their resume, right? Um, you know, being a full stack or being a front end engineer is enough that we don't need that level of detail or they have agile or they use Git. I like, I like, I like when, when, when in resumes, they, they, they say, uh, I have experience with Git. I'm like, okay, so you're a contractor that has experience with a screwdriver. If you don't have Git, you don't have a screwdriver. Like, I, 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 I don't understand this. What do you mean? What is this? Right? It's nonsense. But why do they do that is because recruiters, We'll look for Git and we'll look for this and we'll look for that. Why are recruiters doing that? Because the hiring manager doesn't trust the recruiter to actually be able to find really good candidates. So they tell them, yes, we use Git, we use that, we use it. I need someone with GitLab experience. No, you don't need GitLab experience. You need source control experience. You don't, you don't need that at all. If you don't have source control experience, you're not a developer. So don't, let's just not ask for that at all. But hiring managers don't know this, right? And so they have to tell the recruiter, like a little baby, walking them, you know, and say, make sure you don't trip up. I'm going to piss off a lot, a lot of recruiters because of this. I'm going to make them angry. And I make them angry all the time on LinkedIn. You should follow me. It's, 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 it's hilarious sometimes. 
Now, there are some really good recruiters that understand this, right? And that they, have, they come from a technical background. So, so that's problem number one, is the resume is structured because the recruiters don't understand the, the, what technical experience really is, right? Because they don't understand how technology is written. You know, for example, if you're looking for a front-end engineer with Vue.js, it's okay to get someone with React.js or Angular. It's the same damn technology. It's the same thing. You know single-page application development? You can figure it out. You'll learn it in about a week, maybe less, right? So, so there's that. Then in terms of technical recruiting, it's only a screening call. Hey, what did you do? You did this, you did that. Oh, okay, that's, that's great. And I can tell you whatever I want to tell you and I'll pass to the hiring manager and waste the hiring manager's time. Because when they do a technical assessment, they don't, they don't know. They, they, like, the, the person clearly comes out as not knowing what it is that, um, uh, how to do the job, right? And then from the, from the financial point of view, the whole commission concept of technical recruiting, of recruiting in general, that makes no sense. A developer, a senior developer makes 180 to 250K on average now. You're going to tell me that a technical recruiter is worth giving $32,000, $40,000 for finding a, a, a candidate? Hmm. Are, are you telling me that that's actually worth it? It doesn't make any sense. When I was in a position to hire technical recruiters, I never did. I'm like, I can't, I can't pay you this amount of money. I am sorry, I haven't. I will not spend that kind of money for you to put a bunch of ads online that I can do for, for putting, um, for looking up on LinkedIn, which I can also do. It's not a problem. Heck, there's AI recruiting software out there that I can find candidates really, really fast and just contact them. So what are you really saving me in terms of time? If I can find the recruit and be able to assess them technically uh, at, at the beginning. So, so there's all of that. Now, the other part that's broken in technical recruiting is titles. Mehmet, what is a senior developer? <laughs> what's, what's the definition of a senior developer? I see, I see developers on resumes and I'm like, okay, you just got out of school in 2020 and you're a senior developer? You're a lead developer. Oh my. I talk to them and uh, they don't know the first thing between message queues. They, they have no idea. Okay. Or they have no uh, concept of how of how something should be, should be structured or organized. So that's all of the areas where technical recruiting is broken. They don't need to call and hunt these people. They're available online. If someone wants a job, they'll just make it known that they want a job, right? Yes, they could go after people that are already, um, that are already gainfully employed. And those technical recruiters are very, very few and far in between that actually do this. They're headhunters very slight, slight deviation, right? Um, mm -hmm. What I do in terms of technical recruiting is I'm a fractional CTO. I understand technology inherently, intimately. I write code every day because I've got side businesses. And you know what? I write code for my clients sometimes. I just take over and I'm like, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll churn out a CICD pipeline for a client that it would take their team a week to do. Right, I'll just build it out myself really, really quickly. So, so there's, 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 so there's that. And because I know this, I can assess them on a technical level. Solution design question. I challenge everything they say in a resume. You better believe it. If you say you're a lead, you better be answering me at a lead level. I know what a lead is. I've hired them. I've been a lead in the past. And so the level of service I provide is so much higher Right. It also takes me a lot longer to, to provide candidates to my clients because of that, because I'll interview 20 people and I'll recommend one. And I'll only recommend the ones that I think will be able to do the job. Otherwise, I'm not even pushing them through in any way, shape or form. Right. So now the last part of the recruitment industry, not the industry, but the other end of, of recruiting that is broken is the hiring managers themselves. They don't know how to interview. They just don't know how to interview. They don't know how to ask the right questions, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, did a whole, I did a whole post about what a 
good in, what a good interview and what a bad interviewer is. A good interviewer asks questions about solution design, about how their brain works. I want to see how you work. A bad interviewer will ask you specific trivia knowledge about a particular element or function or feature of a language. Who gives a damn? Who cares? Who cares? Like, they can learn this. I, I shame, shamelessly Google how to build an array in JavaScript every single time because I always get. But you know what? I know how to do array computations. I, I, I know what I need. I just don't have everything in my mind. Does that make me a bad developer? Right? So, so there's a lot of training on the hiring manager side that, that isn't, um, that, that, that is required. And that gets a lot of people to fall through the crack. The, the fourth thing, the last thing that is broken is, is the perception that people cannot learn new skills. Mm. So, and I, and I give this example all the time. I was hired at a beautiful company. I love this company, right? I was hired at this, at this company a few years ago. I was a .NET developer. I have never touched Linux, Python, or Golang. Never in my life, right? They hired me. I learned Python. I learned Golang. I learned Linux in about three weeks to the point where I was pushing to production the first week. Because you mm -hmm. know what? Once you know what you're doing, you know what you're doing. It's just syntax afterwards. You figure out this is what this language is good for. Let me do it. This is the structure. Yeah. How long do you think it takes to learn Python or Golang? Uh, you read a couple of YouTube videos, you're good. Now, yeah, there's, there's you know, the idiomatic aspect and so on and so forth. With, with the proper support, you can hire anyone. So, so that, that's the last part. And that's why a lot of people are having a hard time finding jobs and a lot of Companies say there's not enough tech talent out there because they assume that the tech talent isn't able to actually learn. So they're looking for a specific person, which is similar to saying, I need a contractor who knows how to use the, the, the black and decker hammer, but, but I know how to use the other hammer. Ah, not good enough. Sorry, buddy. Uh, I have to agree with you on one thing here is uh, for me, like, resumes or cvs whatever you call them uh you you can you cannot I, I i'm not getting the idea especially for a pure technical role how you can condense all the experience in a two or three pages like for me it's nonsense honestly uh so this is one thing and regarding you know the the keyword thing uh Again, it's the same. It's the same story with like, and now AI will change this because if you think how SEO, you know, from digital marketing perspective, is now being disrupted by AI, I think this this also will be disrupted by AI because I believe, and this is a futuristic way because I always say AI will not, like, I mean, um, I mean, remove the need for these jobs. It will augment the job itself so now you know ai will be able actually to assess these guys without the need for all this maybe right so uh, and i always been a believer in any technical role that let's test the guy how he will behave uh, in a real world scenario and see what he will do right without putting him under the stress of course like we don't we don't want to to make it a uh, a horror movie for him or for her uh, I'm against that is the uh, yeah. Th there's a lot uh, a lot of times in recruiting. There's there's this egotistical um, uh, approach to to hiring people, where yeah. where they want to prove the candidate wrong. They want to filter out the candidate. I take a slightly different approach. I take it from a positive point of view. I want to place you, but I want to inv investigate the depth of your knowledge and experience. That's what I want to know. So I will ask very simple questions, solution design questions, depending on the kind of role, right? And I will see how their brain works. And I tell the candidate, there is no wrong answer because there is no right answer either. There's no right answer right. in software development. I can build the exact same thing, 10 different ways, but it's how you think that makes the difference. Do you know how to scale out? Do you know 
how to abstract services? Do you know how to do all of these things? Maybe you've never done it and it's okay, but do you know how? Do you know that yeah. it's possible? You don't need to know to have ever written an ETL job in your whole life, but do you know what an ETL job is? Good. Now you, you understand the concept? Excellent. That's all I need to know. You'll, you'll, right. you'll, you'll get that task the first day of work and at night you'll study at night how to do it. The next day you'll do it. What do you think I did with Python and Golang? I studied every single night till midnight, right? After my kids go to sleep yeah. to figure it all out. And I figured it out. It, it wasn't that complicated. That's, and uh, guess what? Now with, with AI, like chat GPT, this becomes more easy because uh, <clears throat> you can give it a piece of code, I don't know, in Java and tell it, okay, I want this now in Python and it will write the thing for you, right? So, so <laughs> you don't even it'll, have to watch YouTube anymore. <laughs> it'll write it. And if you copy it like that, it will not get accepted by, by, by a PR review. <laughs> You'll look at it and like, ah, ChatGPT wrote that. We, we see this. ChatGPT writes code like a junior, uh, go, like fresh out of school. That's how he writes. But that's okay. I use it all the time. I'm like, oh, how do I do an HTTP request in PHP? Can you do me? Thank you. Boom. That was the thing. Let me copy this part. Let me assemble it. Let me yeah. do it properly. Yeah, at least at least it will it will put the skeleton for you, and then you need to continue on that. And you know, I always say, like you know, using the AI is similar how we have the planes with autopilot, right? But still, we need a pilot there, right? So yeah. So there is an autopilot, but we need someone you know to take actions when things goes wrong. We need the pilot to actually do the takeoff and landing <laughs> to let us reach safe. Right. So this is where is the augmentation, you know, comes into the picture. Now, shifting gears a little bit and, you know, talking about something else. Um, so your experience, you have been embracing emerging technology to gain edge mm -hmm. and drive innovation. Can you share like some examples of how this has worked? in terms of emerging technology, not, not always, not always. Right. In fact, for me, emerging technology is anything that's been in production for the last two years. I kid you not. It's true. Um, because it has to be tried and true. I can't position any new technology in any company unless it's mature enough. And I know they're going to be staying for the foreseeable future. Right. Mm -hmm. So, there's some emerging tech, like I'll give you, I'll give you an example. I was evaluating one technology, beautiful tech. I urge everybody to try it for ETL pipelines called Mage, Mage.ai. One of the most beautiful techs I've ever seen. When I evaluated it and I spoke to the CEO, it wasn't ready. Now I want to position it, but I've already positioned another tech that is much more mature, right? Mm -hmm. But not as good. So Mage was much better at, at everything but it's not as mature as the other one, which is not as good, but very mature and, and, and doesn't need, doesn't have constant releases, right? So emerging technology in itself is not, is actually almost a bad word for me. It's true. It's almost a bad word. Now, when implementing, if I have to implement anything that's emerging tech, quote unquote, right? I'm going to have to abstract it behind my own services because I don't trust that that company is going to be there, or I'm not going to trust that that company is not going to have a major issue that I'm going to have to now replace it. So that's a, that's also very difficult. So, you know, for example, Kubernetes, I only started implementing it a few years after it came out. Once I saw there was a vibrant community, that's when I'm like, okay, now it's time to take a look at it until then I'm not taking a look at this. Right. So, so that's the thing now. When it comes to AI and machine learning and so on and so forth, that's very, very difficult because we can't even audit the data set yet. It's not public information, right? ChatGPT used to have it with GPT-3, but with GPT-4, they, they, they closed the doors. We're not telling you how we did it. We're not releasing any papers. We're not releasing the data set, nothing. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, and, and that's the reality with, with all commercial off the shelf AI. I call it COTS, commercial off the shelf dash AI. Right. I don't know if I call it or if I saw it, let's say I call it. And, um, and 
we can't even evaluate that. I can't even evaluate ChatGPT within an industrial setting, within a, a commercial setting, because there's there's so much that we just don't know about it, right? So I I, I believe some people have told me that that there's a whole new industry coming out, which is the evaluation of of large language models. This is a, this is a, it's a whole other type of service that come out to just be able to evaluate for bias, for this, for that, for, for everything that is important to us. So when it comes yeah. to emerging tech, eh, a little, a little slower for me, emerging plus two years, plus two years. That, yeah. That's emerging. So, I just a faster. <laughs> so, so in this famous uh, graphs, you're not in the early adopters. You just wait no. a little bit, I would say, but you are not I also like late adopters. No. That's exactly so. So early adopters is very risky as a fractional CTO. As a CTO, I cannot. Yeah. It's not a responsible choice for the company. I cannot expose the company. So anyone that tells me, hey, any founder that tells me, yeah, we're cutting edge. I'm like, oh no, you're cutting edge. Uh oh. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that, what that tells me is there's a language that nobody understands. So I'm I'm evaluating one. I'm working with one company. They've got like six different languages. I'm like, well, why do you have six? Yeah, this was the latest one, and they decided to go with that direction. I'm like, okay, but nobody knows Elixir. <laughs> it's it's a it's a language I think out of Colombia. Fantastic language. I can't read it to save my life because I never spent enough time with it. But like, how do I hire someone for this? Like, I, I can't. I can't find an Elixir developer now. So yeah, that puts the company at that. risk. Resource availability. My God, it's you know, just the yeah, resource yeah, yeah, availability. Yeah. You want to build something in Golang? Sure. Do you have the budget to hire Golang developers? Because they're really expensive. Mm -hmm. They're very, very expensive. You got to make that choice from a financial point of view, which a lot of people don't, don't do, right? But that's my job as the technical executive at the company. I got it. Now, talking about, uh, you know, the new technologies, like from, you know, because you are a, you work as a fractional CTO, so you have... Uh, the chance to you know look at different things so looking at the tech industry today what are some emerging trends that you believe startups should be aware of and prepared for the 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 database technology one of the biggest ones and one of the more important ones that actually really simplifies life is the database tech that that merges transactional operations with uh, with analytical operations together? Because mm -hmm. traditionally, you either had an OLAP database and a transactional database, two different types right. of workloads, right? That complicates life because you're going to need reporting. What? As soon as you have a few million rows, now you're going to need a complicated ETL process to convert it or to, to, to move data to your OLAP server. And the cost is, 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 way, too, is way too high, right? And, and the infrastructure is too complicated. So, so we, you wanna think that way. So there's a couple of new technologies that came out. When it comes to databases, I only trust anything that's been built on top of open source. So anything that's been built on top of Postgres that is compatible with, with more traditional databases because it's easier to find people, it's easier to train them, right? There's a lot of really powerful databases out there, database servers out there and technologies, unbelievably powerful. However, they require a very specific skill set. And as soon as something requires, deviates too much from the trend, oh, you're no longer using SQL, you're using your own version of it that really doesn't make any sense, or that doesn't, not that doesn't make any sense, it might make sense, but it doesn't, uh, it's not a skill that is easily learned because it, it deviates mm -hmm. far too much from the traditional, from the from how uh, from how it's done traditionally. That's a problem, right from the get go. That's a problem, especially when it comes to data. Data specifically is like it's it's a real serious issue, right? So so mm -hmm. that's that's what yeah that's what um, that's what I see. I got it. Um... One thing also, like it's like not related purely to to uh, the technology, but you've been a founder yourself. So uh -huh. how how that you know experience shaped the way you support other startups now as a fractional CTO? I tell them that I'm going to be their their devil's advocate. 
I'm, I'm the one who says no until they prove it to me. And founders actually kind of like that because I'm not there to say yes. If you want yes, hire another a technology, hire Deloitte, they'll tell you yes, right? Hire <laughs> these companies. Oh, that's true. Yeah, hire an employee, an employee will tell you yes. An employee is afraid of their job. I tell my clients, I'm not afraid of being fired. I'm not. So I'm going to tell you no straight, straight out of the gate if you tell me anything that doesn't make any sense and you have to prove it to me because my job is to protect your budget because as a ex-founder and I'm, I have a startup right now and I'm going to buy another one shortly, right? Um, as an ex-founder and, 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 and someone who made technical decisions with his own money, I know what the true cost is. You know, it's really, really easy to say, yeah, let's add another service on AWS. Let's just, yeah, let's just add one. Let's just go. It's someone else's money. It's in the budget. It's in the budget. Let's just, let's just do it, right? But it's really easy to spend other people's money. Mehmet, have you ever spent other people's money? It's a, it's a lot of fun, right? Because you can make whatever decision you want with no risk, almost no risk. Oh, I made a mistake. Oops, $15,000 of AWS bill because my... My serverless was calling another serverless and it did uh, an infinite loop, right? Oopsie. But when it's your money, you become very, very, very careful and very pragmatic into how, as to how you approach uh, technical decisions, right? And, mm -hmm. and I learned that aspect. Now, the other aspect is of, 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 of being an entrepreneur, uh, being a current entrepreneur is the technology kind of doesn't really matter. <laughs> the language doesn't really matter. It doesn't. It's people can fight all day long. PHP, Python, Golang. It doesn't matter. What will work best for your business? If you deal with enterprise, stick with .NET. Microsoft has a great support for the enterprise. If you're dealing with simple web applications, go with Python. Nice and simple. Django, you're good. You have very, 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 very heavy processes. Go with Golang, CPU-bound processes. But it doesn't really matter. And that's what I tell my clients. Because when we structure uh, work properly, when we design software, and by software, I mean a whole system properly, mm -hmm. we can choose whatever language we need to choose at that point in time. That's it. You can have Python and Golang. You can have, well, you're not going to have PHP with Python and Golang. So let's put PHP on the side. Even though it's one of the most popular technologies out there still, it's not, I don't think it's actively being, being picked up by anyone. I could be wrong. I don't want to insult any PHPers, right? But um, the technology itself doesn't matter. Where it really, really matters, your database choice. That's, that's, uh, that one requires you to sit down and really think for a week. Just one week. Uh, any more than that, your, your analysis paralysis. Really think it through. Uh, because transitioning databases, transitioning where the database is hosted is such a headache. Yeah. Uh, you're you're going to cause yourself pain down the road. If the pain is five years down the road, it's not a problem, right? So so the other, the other thing that I tell my clients is I am going to structure your software, your solution, your technical ecosystem, everything that falls under the technology organization in such a way that allows you to grow your business. And when they tell me, but is it future-proofed? I'm like, nothing is future-proof, but in the future, you'll have rich people problems, which means your business is thriving. You have other people to deal with it. We're going to structure it in a clean way not in a perfect way because nobody cares about how your technology was written. They don't care as long as it works and it's bug free. Nobody cares, right? Once you have a successful business, that's a different ballgame altogether. So once you have a successful business, it's a completely different ballgame. It's at that point where, how can I say, um, you can restructure or you can even rewrite, dare I say, if it's absolutely necessary. But you have a team for that and your business is thriving, so it's not a problem tomorrow's yeah. problem that, that's very i would say detailed and uh, i hope that everyone uh, who would be watching or listening to this will will get the benefit out of it now as we come to a to a, the end almost now i have my very famous end question 
what is the question that you wished I asked you? In another term, if anything that you wanted to share, please let me know. What makes a good technology executive? Oh, what is, what is okay. the... <laughs> Go ahead. So, so, so what makes a good one is, is business acumen. Technology mm-hmm. can be picked up, but you need to have business acumen. You need to be able to follow the money. When, when I work with clients, when I was working as an employee, the first question that I asked in the interview is, how do you make money? Because that tells me where the critical path of where, uh, where the critical path needs to be focused on. The flow of money, that's where we're hardening the whole thing, right? The further away from the money it is, the less concern it is, the less we have to focus on it because you can't focus on everything, right? I've seen enough CTOs and tech leads completely burn out because there's too much in their mind. They, they do too much work. There's too much focus on everything and they drop the ball somewhere really important. So that's it. It's business acumen. Learn business. Go get a business degree, whatever. Just just understand business or launch your own business. Even if it's small, even if you have to not spend money on ads and then have to put Google Analytics in place and do all of these things, it's really, really important to know how to spend and how to make technical decisions with your own money. That's it. 100%. And, you know, as they say, uh, you know, when you see this post, I wish I told my, or if I can tell my 20 years old me, right? And actually, I will tell my 10 years old me to go and learn about business. And this is why um, I'm always, I know that some educators will hate me, especially in the last two, three episodes I'm talking to about, about the education system. Um, we need to have, we need to have more things related to business, sales, finance, whatever you want. I know it doesn't have to be like the, the you know, the, the philosophy of the things. It can be taught in a very simple way. This is first. And the second thing, yeah, like I was lucky enough to figure it out a little bit, not too late and not too early as well. So I figured out that I need actually, however, like I would be good technically if I don't have the business acumen, um, Sorry, like it's nothing. Okay. And as you said, you, you you gave a very nice example. Like I can write in this language. I can do this. So what? If you don't understand what this technology is trying to do and what's the benefit from business perspective. And if you allow me, let me tell any developer or any geek guy, you know, watching or listening to this. Guys, it's not rocket science because businesses, they make money. Right. So think about, you know, whatever piece of code you're writing, how it will somehow increase the revenue. It might be increasing, you know, the customer um, number. It might be actually reducing a risk. If you are, for example, writing a code related to security, for example, right. Just, uh-huh. just you know, ideas. So think about increasing revenue, increasing customer satisfaction, reducing risk. So if you try to read some books about you know basic business you will understand how business operates as Oshri said and this is how actually you will feel you are doing more I would say meaningful work because when you write this piece of code or if you are in the infrastructure like I used to be if you understand why you are putting the server here and why you are putting the database there what does it mean from business perspective believe me you would feel more happy because as a geeky guy, you say, hey, with my geeky skills, I'm able to affect the business in a positive way. So 100% agree with you, Oshri, on this point. So anything else you want to add before we, we close? You know, I, 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 I wanted to say a joke about the whole AI machine learning thing that uh, yeah. I, didn't have, Go I, ahead. I didn't have a chance to. Uh, one of my friends told me this, and I think it's so true. Machine learning is written in Python. Do you know what AI is written in? <laughs> no <laughs> Goal, uh, Google Slides <laughs> <laughs> nice one that's, that's, it. It. that's it it's a nice you one. know it's, it's, a... It's, it's 
It's AI you're selling AI. There's no AI. ChatGPT is barely oh, AI. Oh, I like this. I, you know, like, I remember still there was no ChatGPT. I believe it was 2017. I published an article on LinkedIn and I said, we will reach someday where AI will be selling to AI and AI will decide. <laughs> will decide. So somebody contacted me about this. I was looking for salespeople, like a, for a fractional salesperson for my business to grow my fractional CTO practice. And someone contacted me and said, oh, would you like to have an AI do it for you? And I'm like, what? <laughs> At some point, we're going to have people answer our messages, AI talking to AI, because if I, if I d- deploy this on the internet, and and an AI is messaging and emailing and making phone calls and talking, right? Eventually, they're going to have the AI gatekeeper, and then they're just talking to each other. Yeah, right? that's what will happen. Because look, for example, take a very simple take a very simple example. Sorry, I'm I'm like a little bit taking more time. If for I tell the AI I need a solution that I need an application for note taking and should have one, two, three features. And then, you know, someone will come, maybe an AI, and say, hey, I have this feature, this feature, this feature. Okay, can you show that to me? And the AI will do the tick boxes. And then it will tell me, hey, out of 10 applications, I shortlisted these two. Have I looked to them? <laughs> and then, you know, you, you decide, put the credit card and buy them. This is what would happen, I believe, in the future. So anyway, well, Ushri, thank you very much. I really enjoyed, you know, I like the energy. I like, you know, and by the way, I going to, Put the link for your website and for your LinkedIn profile. Thank you. If anyone is interested to have a fractional CTO, you can contact Oshri. So he's the guy to go to for anything related to uh, CTO uh, tasks. And again, thank you for being here on the show. And at the end, as usual, if you are watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. If you are listening on your favorite podcasting platform, again, Please subscribe to the pod. Tell your friends, tell your colleagues, tell your family. Really, we have rich content. We have really amazing guests with us that are adding a lot of value. So please uh, subscribe and help us to spread the knowledge. And as I say always, if you have any feedback or comment on this episode or the show in general, you can reach out to me either by email. You find me on LinkedIn and Twitter where I'm active mostly. And if you want to be a guest, same as Oshri was a guest today, again, reach out to me and I will be more than happy to discuss this. Thank you very much for tuning in and until we meet in the next episode. Thank you.